Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 22, Fyodor I and the Ascension of Boris Gudunov. Last week, we saw the end of the reign of Ivan the Terrible with his death in 1584. His rule caused a wholesale change in the fabric of Russian society. He took ancestral lands away from countless boyars, redistributing it to a new group of more loyal people. This was to benefit future Tsars, but it also caused great pain to his countrymen, which would take years to recover from. Now, though, his feeble-minded son was to serve as the figurehead ruler to help heal Russia from some very deep wounds. But this was a very wrong situation, as Fyodor was certainly not the right son to rule Russia. That role was supposed to fall to Tsarevich Ivan, who, unfortunately, was murdered by his father, Ivan IV which therefore left Russia in the hands of yet another chosen council. For the next 14 years, Fyodor was dragged out from time to time to lead an army here, greeting foreign emissaries there, and to basically provide Russia with what it needed, a leader with a peaceful demeanor unlike his cruel and vicious father. Fyodor was so unlike his father in all ways, except one, the prominent Greek nose inherited from Ivan III's wife, Zoe Paleolog. Whereas his father was tall, sturdy, and powerfully built, with penetrating eyes, Fyodor was short, weak, and barely able to stand on his own, with a true simple-mindedness. His subjects viewed him as a saintly figure because of his deeply religious demeanor. The real rulers at this time was the new five-man council, which included his uncle Nikita Romanov, Boris Gudunov, Bogdan Belsky, Ivan Shuisky, and Ivan Mstislavsky. Of the five, Boris Gudunov was the most powerful and influential in this court, as his sister Irina had married Tsar Fyodor. Already a favorite of Ivan IV, Gudunov knew that it was unlikely that his sister could bear an heir due to Fyodor's health. He knew if he planned things carefully, he could start a new dynastic line, with Boris being the first new Tsar with the demise of the Rurik line. In all reality, Boris was already the de facto Tsar. He further strengthened his position by marrying the daughter of Malutia Skudorov, a former leader of the Oprichniki, another favorite of Ivan. The first thing Boris did when Ivan died was to call on all boyars and the army to enclose Moscow, protect the, the treasury, and become vigilant in case of an attack by a foreign invader. While there was no real immediate threats, his decisive action was commended by all. But as was common throughout Russia's early history, boyar intrigue abounded. Many of the boyar families began to look around and see who would have the best claim to the throne if Fyodor died, without a legitimate son. Two people had a possible claim. While neither was particularly strong, they were better than anyone else. The first, of course, was Boris Gudunov, because of his closeness to the reigning Tsar and his friendship with Ivan. The second was Dmitri, son of Ivan IV by Maria Nagaya, the Tsar's late seventh wife. Dmitri's position as a potential heir was tenuous at best, and of course the real main reason that it would have been a difficult one to sell is the Orthodox Church never recognized the marriages. There was a rule that no one could be married more than three times, so he was considered a bastard son. Dmitri now was only three years of age, but Boris convinced Tsar Fyodor, who actually had grown fond of the boy, 
to banish Dmitri and his mother to Uglich, some 200 miles away from Moscow. Now, with one potential rival out of the way, the boyars actually began to aim at Boris himself. First, the Shuiskis attacked Prince Ivan Belsky, passing a rumor in Moscow that he, along with Gudunov, had poisoned Ivan IV and was planning to do the same to Fyodor. A mob gathered and surrounded the palace, which frightened the Tsar. Boris, knowing that he was the real target, had Belsky escorted out of the city, sending him to Nizhny Novgorod. The Shuiskis tried again at a power grab, allying themselves with Metropolitan Dionys, but that failed as well. Gudunov had had enough and showed his ruthless style side by having Prince Ivan Shuisky murdered along with many of his family members. Boris Gudunov was now the most powerful man in Russia. In 1587, the latest scourge of Russia, Stephen Bathory, suddenly died. Poland was in an internal struggle which relaxed tensions on their border with Russia. Things were finally looking up for the nation. In 1588, Patriarch Jeremy of Constantinople visited Moscow in need of money for his impoverished church, which was under the control of the Muslim Ottomans. Boris cajoled, bribed, threatened, and finally deceived the patriarch in order to get the one thing the Russian rulers had yearned for decades, independence from the church of Constantinople. On January 26, 1589, at the Cathedral of the Assumption, the Metropolitan of Moscow was consecrated as Patriarch, making the Russian Orthodox Church fully independent from the Greeks. A Patriarch had supreme authority within the Church, almost papal in nature. This was a major victory for Boris Gudunov. In my Slapshot podcast on the not-so-very-merry wives of Ivan the Terrible, I mentioned that Ivan's son Dmitri by Maria was to be the center of a crisis that will engulf Russia during the time of troubles. It was an event on May 15, 1591, that would one day threaten Russia's very existence. Young Dmitri, now nine and a half years of age, was dead, with his throat slit. Many believe that Boris had ordered the murder, which seems somewhat implausible, as he really had very little to fear from the exiled boy and his family. Additionally, there was really nothing to gain from his death and much to lose. Theories abound that the boy was murdered by boyar factions looking to set blame on Gudunov and weaken his power. Gudunov, a brilliant political tactician, despite being functionally illiterate, ordered a commission to investigate Dmitri's death. The commission blundered terribly by first claiming that the boy accidentally cut himself during an epileptic seizure. To compound the problem, they failed to positively identify the body, which was to prove huge and led to three false Dimitris claiming to be the boy during the time of troubles. They also buried the boy in Uglich instead of in Moscow next to his brother and father. This was also to cost Russia dearly. Many in Moscow now began to blame Boris for the death, which made his grip on power seemed seemingly tenuous at best. Then, to top things off, the Crimean Tartars were on the march on Moscow once again, with a massive army of 150,000. Gudunov went to work organizing the defense of the city. People fled towards the city ahead of the invading Tartars. 
Boris ordered trenches dug, cannons loaded, and musketeers prepared. Then the Crimean horde arrived with the majority of the Russian army away fighting the Swedes. On July 4, 19, or 1591, the Tartars began their attacks on the greatly outnumbered Muscovite defenders. But the invaders, while having the overwhelming numbers, did not have the weaponry to fight effectively. The Russians pounded the Tartars with cannonballs and bullets while the invaders shot arrows and spears. Thousands of Tartar bodies filled the ground below the stone walls of the Kremlin. Blasting away that night with withering cannon fire, the Khan wondered why was this happening, as typically battles ended with sundown. He was told by Russian prisoners that the whole of the Russian army was on its way. It was a hoax, and the Khan, not believing that, began to retreat. Boldly, Boris and Prince Fyodor Mstislavsky pursued, pursued leaving the entire city undefended. But it so surprised the Khan, who believed that this was the front of the coming Russian army, that he went all the way back to the Crimea. Crimea. Boris went from the murderer of Dmitri to the hero of Moscow. Now he had all the power except a name. But that wasn't too far off. He spent the next seven years continuing to solidify his power base and to accumulate enormous wealth. On January 8, 1598, the son of Ivan the Terrible and grandson of Fyodor I died in his bed after a brief illness. Boris now stood on the precipice of achieving his dream of being Tsar with the end of the Rurik line. But he needed to be cautious, as there were other descendants of Rurik out there, and Boris came from a Mongol gentry family. He orchestrated a passage of the crown to Irina, Fyodor's wife and his sister, but she felt that because she did not bear him a male heir, she was the sole reason for the end of the Rurik line. While initially accepting the crown, she later turned it away, preferring to live out her life as a nun named Sister Alexandra. Boris had a clear path to the throne if he played his cards right. First, the boyars proposed anointing a council to rule the country, but the people would have none of that. They demanded that Boris be proclaimed Tsar. Gudinov believed that he not only needed the people's support, but the boyars as well. With that, he asked that a Zemsky Sabor be convened, where on February 17, 1598, he was elected Tsar. He had reached his goal. But all was not rosy with Russia, as this is what historians view as the beginning of the time of troubles. Join me next week as we go over what is considered Boris Gudinov's second reign, and the plunge into one of the most trying times of Russian history, one that threatened its very existence, the time of troubles. Now for this week in Russian history for the week of September 26th through October 2nd. In 1246, Yaroslav II of Russia dies. In 1552, we have the conquest of Kazan by Ivan the Terrible. In 1708, Peter the Great defeated the Swedes at the Battle of Lesnaya. In 1787, the Russians under Alexander Suvorov defeat the Turks at Kinburn. In 1898, we have Tsar Nicholas II expelling the Jews from the major Russian cities. In 1928, the Soviet Union introduced its first five-year plan. 
1939, we have Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union agreeing on a division of Poland after their invasion during World War II. Two years later, in Operation Typhoon, Germany began an all-out offensive against the city of Moscow. In 1960, we have Nikita Khrushchev, leader of the Soviet Union, disrupting a meeting of the United Nations General Assembly with a number of angry outbursts. One of the most famous was him banging his shoe on the table. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to visit the iTunes App Store and download the Russian Rulers app. And please visit the websites at russianrulers.podhoster.com. Become a Facebook friend at Russian Rulers History Podcast. Ask a question, make a suggestion, and please leave a comment. But before I end here, I want to tell everybody what the song is that we're now beginning our podcast with. It is known as the Song of the Volga Boatmen, and this version was by the Red Army Chorus. Well, again, thank you for listening, and das vidanya i spasiba bolshoya.